Hey, I've loved the last couple of weeks. I've loved people who have shared uh, about the cross and about the powerful significance of the cross for our lives. Jen talked about how the cross shows what the Sermon of, on the Mount tells. Um, it demonstrates the beauty of Jesus' sacrifice and sets example, an example for us to live in. Um, Ryan talked also about Jesus' death on the cross, not only to absolve us of our sins, it was actually the beginning of a revolution, um, commissioning the Christian faithful to a new vocation, a royal priesthood, responsible for restoring and reconciling all of God's creation. At least that's what I got out of it. Was that where you were heading, Ryan? Yeah, yeah cool. All right. um, today I'm going to spend some time looking at the good news of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And I um, have a little alarm clock that goes, and it, and it says first two, first two steps. And it goes in the morning and it wakes me up out of a bleary sleep and I want to be on my pillow, but the first two steps of my day is to put both feet on the ground and get up and go spend time with Jesus. And um, as I did this the other morning, I said, God, what am I going to share about? Um, I'm running out of time. I've procrastinated about my prep for this sermon. And uh, I felt like he said two things. He, I felt like he said the cross, it's, it's actually about you. Uh, and then the second thing was the cross, it's, it's actually not about you. So that's where I'm going with my message. So, um, hey, so um, for, um, so I don't want to try and be too clever. Uh, I want to look really hard at the cross as a means to save us as individuals from sin and its consequences. And so um, I'm going pretty hard on the sin angle here. And so for many of us, um, there's a weight of our past decisions and our own past, the things that we've done, the things that have been done to us. Uh, it's the weight of the human condition. And sin's the brokenness. Sin is from brokenness. Sin causes brokenness. And sin are things done by us and to us and around us, all of which deform us out of the image of God, out of union with God. So, um, and we've mainly focused on the bias, but sin is much wider than that, and we feel its impacts keenly. But today I want to talk about my sin, how it makes me feel, how it makes me act, what its consequences are for my most important relationships, and what its effects are for our relationship with God. As well as that, I want to look at the eternal consequences of that. Um, and then, praise the Lord, I get to look at the cross and what that means in terms of my freedom and my forgiveness and the life that we led into. All right, and so the reason that we're going on this, I'm going on this particular uh, sin bender was the other morning, uh, another morning, I got up to pray and there lurking as I prayed, I was just reminded of something that I'd done. Um, I found something in my thoughts. and It was a moment I'd had the day before. And the day before, I'd made a mistake at work. Um, anyone here made mistakes at work? Yeah, and so rather than probably own the mistake simply, I got a bit creative in my email back about it. And I, um, and I told a lie. And it wasn't a massive one. It would have had almost zero effect to the other person, but it made me feel better and it minimised the guilt that I, that I felt about it. Um, and so this quick, sneaky, untraceable lie just made me seem a little bit better. And at the time, I didn't think over it too much. I responded, I moved on. But, but then when I, when I was praying, it was that weird, annoying moment where something didn't quite sit right. Um, I knew what had happened. Uh, and as I, I knew what I'd done, I felt like God was reminding me of it. And this thing was in the way. And so 
this little lie is an example of what the Bible calls sin. So firstly, let's talk about sin and its consequences. I think I've got four issues of sin up there. Firstly, sin gets in the way of me and God. Sin harms our relationship with God. Second, uh, how have I worded this one, Joel? Sin corrupts our heart. So sin has the potential to actually start distorting our heart. So I'll talk about that. Thirdly, um, it reminded me, uh, this moment I had, it reminded me that sin has the power to affect our human relationships. So sin harms our human relationships. And finally, sin bears witness of something far more harrowing. Sin has eternal consequences. So that's where I'm heading. And obviously, guys, there's good news around the corner. So please, if you're walking out halfway through to take a phone call, this could be devastating for your uh, image of what the Church of Jesus Christ offers. But um, firstly, sin gets in the way of me and God. So God has things under control. He deeply loves us. He desires us. And he desires that we live in relationship with him, holding him as Lord of our lives. He calls us to trust him as boss. And he promises that he will bring us true joy. But then there's sin. And so sin, it's not only the actions that we commit, but it's also the staining that occurs in our souls and the twisting of our identity and the corruption that begins to settle in. So the early church father, Ignatius, called sin and the actions and the the whole big thing and unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Eugene Peterson goes on to to call sin a a selfish attempt to violate beauty, to manipulate goodness, to dominate people, all the while defying God. So we see here that sin's a rebellion against God. Galatians 6, 7 talks about sin, and the first thing it says is, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, before going on to write about sin. And so initially he talks about the fact that sin, straight up, yeah, it's going to have an effect on your soul, your relationships. But straight up, it has an effect on our relationship with God. And C.S. Lewis went on to describe um, this um, rebellion towards God as this. Uh, fallen man is not, only, is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you're sorry, realizing you've been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. That's the only way out of our hole. This process of surrender, this is what Christians call repentance. Um, What's next, Joel? Have we got the next? Okay, cool. Um, We won't quite go to that yet, but there's just a, a couple of things. We just see it very clearly through Scripture. God's not friends with sin. He doesn't look at it and smile and wink. Um, Proverbs says it this way, there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him and describes a whole bunch of actions. Uh, The mindset on flesh is hostile towards God, Romans 8, 7. So God takes sin seriously. And so when I sin, I separate myself from him. Um, And so uh, when I had to kind of address this fact that I had lied. I had to look at it and think about not just the lie I told, but the motives behind it, the desire in me to appear better than I really was and all of that. You know what, guys? Uh, We'll get to this later. There's good news. Without the cross, we've got nowhere for that sin to go with the cross. That shame, that can go away. That forgiveness can happen. All right, second... Um, sin causes corruption in our hearts. 
It chokes out the life of God within us. Um, it twists our desires. So sin's not casual. And sin can be used by the, by the devil to destroy us, to twist us, to change our desires towards selfishness. I mentioned that verse in Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived, God's not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he'll also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And the flesh will be is sort of this selfish, sinful condition that seems to exist in all of humanity. And if you go on sowing to that, you will from that reap corruption. This image of corruption is like, you know, you get fijolas. I love them. They're delicious. They're sweet and tasty and yummy with a little bit of tang, right? But then after a while, they turn, don't they? And they go brown and icky. And it, so at some point, they, they're gross. And that's corruption. That's this idea of rot that starts to occur. And it's the same when we sin. We, we discover that what was once meant for holiness and goodness turns rotten. And sowing, and that's what happens when we sow to the flesh. We reap corruption. It means that we take the effort, the attention, the love that is due towards God, and we steered, we put it towards ourselves. And when this happens, corruption follows. I love how Jesus talked about the effects of the Pharisees' sin. Now Jesus, when you read it, often you don't see it as being hilariously funny, but Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were pointing viciously at other people's sin. And uh, Jesus said, hey, look, guys, first, before you point out the speck in someone else's eye, why don't you take the big log out of your own eye? Now, that would have been hilarious simply because someone with a log in their eye is funny. Like, I mean, there's, there would have... <laughs> I like to think those moments... Oh, you guys aren't kidding, but it would be very funny. I think it'd be very funny. Imagine a guy with a log in his eye. That's pretty, pretty hilarious. But the reality is the sin gets in our vision. It changes the way we see stuff. Whether it's a speck or a log, we can't see the world the same way. It has a devastating effect on ourselves. Jesus also says in John 8, verse 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And we saw that in our Galatians study, that if we sin, often we're going for freedom. Woohoo, I'm free, we say, and pretty soon we end up in shackles. We see this with power addicts, food addicts, sex addicts, porn addicts, gambling addicts, drug addicts, phone addicts, Netflix addicts. We see it in all of these things where we think these things will be like freedom, and then we're trapped and stuck. Ugh. We also see it in the corrupting effects, and this is why I felt like God was saying, hey, Luke, mate, you can't just tell lies to pass yourself off better. Every time you, you tell a lie, or worse, you live, you live a lie, you start to build layers upon layers of falseness until we actually become a bit confused about who we are. And that's not, that's not cool. We become disordered, ashamed, and enslaved. And so that sort of idea of slavery, I, I know from my personal life, I used to look forward to getting drunk. Getting drunk was when I finally could figure out who I was. I mean, that's weird. None of us would be like, hey, guys, I'm going to go buy a, a new phone this weekend, and there's all these different options, and I know I'm going to make a really rational decision about which one I'm going for, and I'm going to get plastered to do it because that will sort through all the details. And It's not like we make good decisions or we see clearer when we're drunk but but that's what it it made it felt like all the fractures in my soul 
I'll be able to put together back with, with chucking substances in there. And we know that doesn't work. Okay, soon we're going to talk about how sin affects others, but note this, Proverbs observes, the cruel man does himself harm. I mean, it's weird, right? Often when we're trying to hurt others, we end up hurting ourselves more. Whew. Thirdly, let's go. Sin affects our relationship with others. Um, this is obvious, but it's worth saying sin hurts people. And as the saying goes, hurt people, hurt people. We all know this because other people's sin affects and hurts us. And we've felt it, felt it keenly. Some of us have lived with those wounds for years. Um, so we live in a world that's broken, busted in pain because of sin. Galatians 5 verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. We live in a world that's soaked in sin. We're told we can do it all and it's going to be all great, but we find that that stuff really, really hurts. Hurts others. Um, and, and marriage exposes this, actually. Marriage exposes that our sin hurts others very keenly. It seems to be a, a crucible, a crucible which absolutely knocks off the selfish tendencies and habits that you get away with a bit more easily in a single life. I've seen this in my friends' marriages, not my own. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But, yeah. Look, if I'm an idiot and say something nasty to Charlotte, I can really hurt her. And that hurt can become more and more toxic the longer it remains. And eventually the sweetness of marriage turns sour. And so often we sit in that sin and we let it rot away at the, at the relationship and the unity God calls us to in marriage. Sin gets in the way of all relationships. And without the cross, sin can't go anywhere. It's trapped, it lurks around, it causes pain, wounds, and keeps people ensnared and trapped. Thank you, Sharon. But it's not good. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we've taught by psychologists and therapists and academics to ignore sin and to embrace it and to let our most base desires go and to forsake guilt. And, and if we sow to the flesh, we reap corruption. We reap corruption to ourselves and corruption to others and corruption in our whole society. And we just see that all around us, right? Society doesn't know what to do with sin. It swings radically from permitting everything and then cancelling everyone. And it's, it's not a great indicator, not a great place to go to, to, to find our moral compass. And we see that at the moment with the Will Smith debacle. It's pretty hard to... Like, I've read the comments. I got sucked in, and I'm, I'm sorry. But like when I watched that thing t- take place, Will Smith slapped Chris Rock in the face. I was gobsmacked. The whole world was gobsmacked. Chris Rock was definitely gobsmacked. Um, <laughs> but our society doesn't know how to talk about sin. It's so post-sin that nobody knew what to do in that massively awkward moment. And then people are figuring out and watching and trying to figure out what everyone else is going to do. And so, like, you know, I went on comments, which I shouldn't do, but I went on there and people were like, no, nah, it's his fault, no, nah, it's her fault, no, nah, it's his fault, no, nah, it's his fault, right? People were like, the biggest fault Will Smith did is he didn't close his fist, he should have absolutely taken his head off, like, 
You know, like, there's just all sorts of opinions on that, and there's total confusion actually about how that works. So anyway, we live in a broken society. We see it everywhere. Whew. One secular commentator I was reading, one famous commentator wrote that people are an entangled mess of hopeless contradictions. So that's good news. Um, so sin. Firstly, it's a rebellion against God. Secondly, it causes offence and pain um, in our own hearts and corrupts us. And finally, it hurts other people. Sin breaks relationships. We need Jesus, eh? So fourthly, my experience with sin bears witness to something far more harrowing. Sin has eternal consequences. I'm grateful for the cross. We'll get there soon. The cross can forgive all my sin from today, from yesterday, from a year ago, from years ago. I know, though, that without the cross, the weight of sin, the twisting power of it, can cause me to go into a cycle of shame as I seek to escape what my sin tells me. There's a trajectory it sends me on by which... My sin can be used by the devil to accuse, condemn me, to torment me. It can tell me I'm no good. It can tell me others are no good. And so if on this side of the grave we see that trajectory, trajectory in motion, which leads inwards to our soul and onwards to destruction, I can't see how that trajectory changes beyond the grave. C.S. Lewis notes this, We have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or the guilt of sin. So that means as an old man, I could lie in my deathbed, tormented by the sin and shame of stuff I've committed decades before. Ephesians 4 talks about this. It talks about uh, people darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. They lose sensitivity, instead giving themselves over to sensuality. They indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. And I know this feeling. I know the shame and I know the sense of guilt that sin can fill our hearts with. I know the hardness also. Uh, And so I don't know how this plays out beyond the grave other than the Bible's pretty clear on this. 2 Corinthians 5, 6, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one may receive what's uh, what's due him for the good things done in his body, whether good or bad. Hebrews 9.27, man's destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Guys, and this is why we need the cross. And so here's the hinge in the sermon. Here's the good news, guys. The cross and the events of Easter, they're the hope of the world. They're the hope of me personally. They're the hope of Bay Vineyard Church. Jesus died for your sins. He bore himself in himself the consequences. He took on himself the wrong decisions, the lack of decisions, the believing of lies, the telling of lies, the living of lies, the betrayal of your own dignity and the dignity of others. Jesus took it all. So firstly, let's go through the good news. What have I got on my slideshow? I worked pretty hard on some animations at this point. Let's go, Joel. Oh, yep. Oh, look at that, guys. Now, now, Joel, Joel. Hey, no, 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 go, go forwards again. Oh, hey, no, keep going. Uh, uh, hey. Sweet. 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, man, this is the point where I'm feeling like super excited. I felt like I needed to mop my brow through this. So here we go, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. Three verses later, after that one about how it's all bad news, he says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
You have a new life in Jesus. Now, pretty much I'm just going to be ripping through a whole bunch of great, great verses that tell us the cross is the center of the Christian hope. And it's super exciting. Okay, here we go. By now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Okay, so Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Later, Jesus acknowledges the woman with a sinful past. Luke 7.44 saying, Whoever's been forgiven much, loves much. doesn't matter what you have done. If you go to Jesus, you've got a new life in him. Whew. Okay, this is so good. We've got freedom from sin and forgiveness. Sin leads to death, separation from God, both here and beyond the grave. Ah, but I honestly think... There are those of us who stubbornly refuse to let go of our sin. We don't want to trust God with all of our lives. And if that's you today, we'll pray soon. But man, the cross is so much more than a means of self-improvement. The cross is our freedom. D.A. Carson says this, If God had perceived that our greatest need was economic, he would have sent us an economist. If he had perceived that our greatest need was entertainment, he would have sent us a comedian or an artist. If God had perceived that our greatest need was political stability, he would have sent us a politician. If he had perceived that our greatest need was health, he would have sent us a doctor. But he perceived that our greatest need involved our sin, our alienation from him, our profound rebellion, our death. And he sent us a saviour. Good news, eh? Ephesians 2 verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you feel a long way from God, I urge you to trust in the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus dripped. The blood of God dripped and landed on this muddy, filthy earth. It happened. It's a fact. And there's power in that blood. Okay, point two, the corrupting effects of our soul. The cross is a means to freedom from self and transformation into the image of Christ. Okay, here we go. I don't know. I'm not going to get through all of these verses, but I'll throw them up there. I'll throw them up there because in your New Testament, you will read through the books and it won't take you long. You will find somewhere where one of the authors marvels at the grace of God given to us in the cross and from there tells us about its transforming power and then tells us how to go out and live in hope and victory and joy. It's such good news. All right, here's some of them though. 9 verse 14, how much more then with the blood, will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so we may serve the living God. We get clean consciences in Christ. And if that's bothered you, the cross is there for you. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteous, unrighteousness. So it doesn't matter how grubby or grotty you feel, the blood of Christ will cleanse you. Romans 12 verse 1 tells us in view of that mercy to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship, not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of of your mind to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Okay. We got the big two Corinthians verse there, Joel. Okay, this one, we feel really bad and and crushed, but we're not going to be crushed because we've got Jesus. Carry on, Joel. Oh, yeah, cool, carry on. Uh, Okay, if we walk in the light, see in the light, we fellowship with the one in the blood of Jesus. Okay, so we restore relationships with other people. Good. 
It's good news. Now, if you need healing in your life with other people, if you struggle to forgive other people, somehow the cross manages that as well. All right. So Philippians 2, Paul urges the church to have the same attitude of that as Christ Jesus, whose obedience to death on the cross shows us an example for how we live. We, we go to the cross like, like Jesus did, and from that we have a model in which to imitate and love others. Okay. 2 Corinthians verse 5. Where are we going with there? Christ's love compels us. We're convinced that one died for all and that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them. Sorry. So from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. We become ambassadors, which means this message of reconciliation and hope and a joining together of our life with God's is ours, it's entrusted to ours. We live differently. We live for others. There's healing in relationships in the cross. And isn't that beautiful? I mean, that alone, I mean, all of these points alone. That's why I feel pretty inadequate up here trying to tell you guys about this stuff. But you know when you stare up at the stars? And the more you see, the more you see. I felt like this prepping this. I just got I got a little bit silly actually. Like, Charlotte's like, why are you grinning? And I was really excited prepping this because I thought, man, it's just everywhere. There's just so much hope and excitement. Ooh, okay. A couple more chapters, pages. Theologians have a term for the life that comes from living with Jesus. Uh, They're going through the cross. It's called a cruciform life. And it talks about our vertical relationship with God being restored. Think of it as the vertical big stick of the cross and then the horizontal cross Uh, Part of the cross is our relationships with others. Cool. It's telling me to go, go, go. Um, So that idea of the cruciform life is beautiful. Uh, Ephesians 5, again, Paul starts with, Be imitators of God, therefore, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So then he goes and talks about our ethics, sexual ethics. He talks about every facet of our lives, our honesty and stuff. And then he particularly lays it down, you know, on our marriages. And he talks in Ephesians 5, particularly to husbands, right? So like, these are just examples everywhere. If, if we're going to live with an acknowledgement of the cross, here's how we live. And it gets, men, it gets a bit, it's going to get hot in here. But if I, speaking hypothetically, let's say I'm married to a beautiful woman, all right? And we'll just call her Sally uh, to protect her real name, which is Charlotte. So I'm having a conversation with Sally, and what I, th- I say what I think is a reasonable, amiable comment, and for some reason it gets a reaction from Sally uh, that I wasn't expecting. And there's a Luke way of going, which becomes more sarcastic, uh, becomes more niggly, a bit more mean, playing to the little audience, laughing in my head, and of course makes the entire thing Sally's problem. And that's not the way of Christ. I'm called to... Love my, lo- my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so to live out the beauty of the cross in that context means that I need to take a few seconds, maybe walk to the letterbox, maybe think about God's great mercy for me, and when I come back, do a whole lot more listening, trying to understand and figuring out what's going on for Sally slash Charlotte. All right? Is it hard yet? Yeah, it is. 
super hard. Okay, number four, giving us an eternal hope. Now there's verses here, but let me just rock and finish with this because I would love to pray for people. Anthony Thistleton says, oh, no, no, this is pretty important. I do want to get the gospel out here. So Hebrews 9, verse 26 to 27. Now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away sin, the sins of many people, and he'll appear a second time. Not to be a sin, but to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. You see, in all, you see, in Jesus, all the images of salvation or rescue or sacrifice or ransom that were present in the Old Testament were fully realized in Jesus. Here's Anthony Thistleton. Sin's a burden, but one that has been borne by Christ. Sin's a debt, but one that's been paid by Christ. It's an offense, but one that's been removed by Christ. It's an illness, but one that has been healed by Christ, it's defiling, but one is that is made pure through Christ. And so in addition to these Jewish metaphors of sin that were throughout the whole of the Old Testament, in the New Testament we see battle imagery for one's struggle, knowing ultimately that we are more than conquerors over sin because Christ is with us. So guys, let's stand and I want to pray. Now, I know I've done like an Eminem job of rushing through these lyrics pretty fast, right? So I am not um, expecting you guys to have all of that land with you, but here's what I am hoping and praying for. And Lord, I pray this now. I pray that if people are trapped in any of these areas with their sin, Lord, if there are people who don't even realise, haven't realised now that they are trapped or stuck or have things that they've held on to or have affected them that they would like to, release or give to you or give over to you. Lord, I pray for that release for them now. We thank you for the cross, Lord. What beautiful mercy, Lord, the God of heaven on on this earth, Lord. We thank you so much for the blood that dripped down. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that your presence would be with us. Lord, your freedom would be with us.